But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. All right. Good morning. Are we good? I think there's actually less people in this service than there is in the other one. Hey, hey, there we go. Hey, my name's Tommy. Welcome. Glad you're here. Um... Uh, especially if it's your first time, a lot of people only come to, you know, church gatherings on Easter and Christmas. I know you're here. I'm glad you're here. Welcome. Um, so, um, I'm not real, uh, real into like topical sermons, but twice a year, again, Easter and Christmas, we do topical sermons. And so I like to try to find how many different ways I can come at this passage. Um, and... Um, I think today is going to be a lot of fun, um, and uh, we're going to talk, again, like I said, about, about life, about the order of life, and about how we are to remember God in all that we do. And so um, I'm going to open us up in a word of prayer, and then we are going to uh, talk about this passage. Father, we love you. We come here now, and, and we ask for your peace. We ask for your grace upon our lives, which gives us that peace. There are many, many things which are difficult that we are carrying. There are many, many things which are stressful and hard, and people bring them here to places like this, and and they expect to hear from you, and they they want answers. We all want answers to the difficult things of life, the things that have kept us up in the middle of the night, and the things that we just cannot stop thinking about. And so we come here, and Lord, I ask that for a few minutes you would take those things away, just out of our thoughts, that we could be here with you, that we could listen to what you have to say, and that we could apply your words to our life, that we could see what your ministry here, your incarnational ministry in this world, what it means for us, and the hope that it brings. We love you, Father. I ask that you would speak through me, that you would calm me, that you would help me to remember all of the things that I've studied, and allow me to communicate freely and clearly Um, I ask that you would give each of us maybe a piece to the puzzle so that things will make more sense than they did before. Thank you for everything that you are doing with us in our midst. In your name, amen. All right, so I'm going to start with this. Um, We tend to look at life as linear. Um, Cradle, grave, birth, death, in the middle is this life that we have. And here we are, 
somewhere on this line. Um, and we tend to think that life is just, just linear. We have a definite start. We have a definite end. And um, life consists of, I guess, how we spend our time between this point and this point. And events happen that are big and memorable. Events happen that are terrible and sad. And they happen once. And the farther we tend to get from them, um, the less they seem to affect us, even though initially they shaped kind of who we are. Um, However, life is not necessarily linear. We live every single day very sort of repetitive lives. Every moment of the day we are breathing in and out, and this keeps us alive. Every day we do the same things we eat and we drink, and these keep us alive. Every day we sort of do the same thing. There is this rhythm in our normal physical lives that we have. And in the same way that we have this normal rhythm in our everyday lives, there is also this rhythm of the world, of nature. Um, the first time I saw this clip here, obviously North America, the changing of the seasons. Um, first time I saw this, I just sat and stared at it forever. And I was just fascinated by it. And I was talking to my wife. I was like, it's like, it's almost like the world is breathing or something. It's just in and out and it's beautiful. It's amazing. Um, and there is a sort of rhythm of life. And I, I love this because a lot of places in scriptures, it talks about creation and how we can um, see the glory of God written all over creation. Um, and how a lot of artists have, have written about how there is in life, um, you know, the death of winter. We just sang about it. The death of winter must happen first before the spring can arise. And so we tend to refer here a lot of times um, at the difficult times, we refer to them as sort of winter. And we're calling out to God saying, please bring spring. Spring always follows winter. And so there is this sort of rhythm of life. The leaves grow on the trees. The leaves change color. They fall into the ground. They turn into dust. And they feed the tree, which brings about more leaves. And this is how all of life sort of is. All of animals, our own lives, ourselves. There's, there's this rhythm to life that God has obviously set in motion for some reason. He has put us here in this sort of rhythm of life. Now, Christianity... It's not all that different. God gave us a rhythm, a pattern of life that we are constantly supposed to be coming back to over and over again. Uh, One of the obvious things that pops into our mind is the Sabbath. We are supposed to take time to fill ourselves up, sort of breathing in, so that we can serve God the rest of the week and work and pour out. The Apostle Paul writes a lot about how he pours himself out. Um, Jesus regularly got away for a time of Sabbath. There is this sort of filling yourself up so that you can pour out for the world. And, and this is, Jesus did this regularly. Um, and so God has given us, as Christians, all kinds of spiritual disciplines that we are to take part in. We talk a lot about the spiritual disciplines here because I think life should be um, this constant motion where we are, everything we are doing is, is a way of reminding ourselves of Jesus and filling ourselves in the ways that he has given us to fill ourselves. And so there is fasting, there is prayer, there is uh, there is worship and celebration. There is all kinds of things which God has given us to fill ourselves up. And then there is service to others. There is love. There is grace and mercy and forgiveness. And there is working for justice in the world and the poor and oppressed and freeing them and bringing people to gospel who are lost. All of these things are pouring out. And so we need to be constantly filling ourselves up so that we can pour out. Um, And the question I kind of have is why? Why do we have to have this rhythm of like Sabbath and work and Sabbath? Why, do we, why is it that we were created in a way that we constantly have to be filled up? Again, why, doesn't, why don't things just happen once and it's enough and it fills us and that's it? 
Well, if there's one thing we know about scriptures uh, and one thing we know about God's people, it is that we forget all the time. We forget. We are people who, when, when these events happen, these big events, no matter how joyous, no matter how historic, no matter how tragic, even in our own American history, whatever, um, these things happen, and the further we get from them, the less it tends to affect us. And it's the same thing with the things of God. The farther we get from the things of God, the less it seems to affect us and the more we seem to forget. What in a moment seemed like the most important thing in the world that happened 15 years from now will just be something that you vaguely remember and you no longer can capture the meaning of it. You following? So, regularly God would send the prophets and God would tell the prophets, you have forgotten what God has done for you. In, in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, we see this, only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and to your grandsons. And so there's this sense in which we are to keep our souls. It's like keeping a garden. You don't just do something to a garden once and let it go. You have to keep it regularly every day, get out, pull the weeds, water it, give it everything that it needs. Um, And so our souls are the same way. We must do something do some kind of work to keep our souls healthy and in remembrance because later on we will need to teach these things to our children and our children's children and our children's children's children. And so this is one of the things that God has told us to do. And he says, if you don't do this, you will forget. Um, The prophet Isaiah goes to his people, the Lord's people as a prophet, and he stands up and gives them a message from God and says this, you have forgotten the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. This is a pretty big deal. That's a really big thing that God did. And the further they get from this, the more they, for, the further they get from this, the more they forget that it happens, that, that the one they serve is the same one that gave them everything and gave them life in their bodies, that they every moment of the day are using and they have forgotten where it comes from. And it comes at them and says, you have forgotten and this is why you are where you are. There's a passage in Deuteronomy that I love that I always come back to because it's so applicable to us, especially today where... God has taken the Israelites out of Egypt and he's taken them through the desert for 40 years, given them every single day, several times a day, food and water and has provided for them everything they need. And now he takes them to the edge of this amazing place and says, this is going to be your home. You're going to live here. And it's incredible. And there are houses and vineyards and everything you will ever need. But I have a warning for you before I give you this. And this is what it says. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Oftentimes we get so wrapped up in our comfort and and the luxuries of our day. Um, and, and, And scriptures tell us that this is a... Luxuries and riches are sometimes a very dangerous thing because the more we have everything we need physically, the less we strive for what we need spiritually. And he says, when you fall into riches, please do everything you can not to forget me. It's always when you look at the world, the demographics of the world, the poor and oppressed tend to be the most spiritual. And those who are the most wealthy and more well-off tend to be not spiritual. The vast majority of atheists tend to be white upper class. 
the more we don't physically have need, the less we spiritually tend to have need. And God says this is a dangerous situation to be in. Um, do you remember what Jesus did before, the night before he was arrested and tried and illegally executed? Um, he turned the Passover meal into something called communion or the Eucharist, which means good gifts. Communion uh, is where we get a word for common, just common things used to help us remember Jesus, bread and wine. And so Jesus gives these to, these, to the disciples and he tells them, you're going to dip it and you're going to eat it. Why are you going to do this? You're going to do this in remembrance of me. God wants us to remember. And so when we come together as Christians, we are to practice this. This is a way for us to remember what God has done for us. There is this rhythm, this regular things that we are supposed to do physically that remind us of God spiritually. Now, um, to remember... uh, takes uh, something that you're supposed to remember. In order to remember something, there has to be an event. And so that event would sort of like be here and remembering we're down here and we're looking back on it and we're we're picturing what happened in our brains and we're sort of um, bringing our hearts back into how we should feel about this event. And we are remembering. And when we do take communion, we are remembering what happened here. Now, um, the Lord gave the ancient Jews uh, a way to uh, remember what he had done for them as well. But it wasn't just remembrance. It was more than that. Um, he gave them something called festivals. And the word for festivals, there's really two ancient Hebrew words for festivals. The first one was mod, and it basically means appointed time. So God said, regularly, you're going to come, you're going to get together at the same time in regular repetition. Every year, you're going to do the same things over and over to, so that you can remember. Um, and then uh, another word for festivals is rehearsals. And I think this is fascinating. This is the word that is actually used more. Um, You are regularly going to get together at the same time every year and you are going to rehearse something. And this is fascinating because we're over here looking back and remembering and God gave the Jews seven different festivals, rehearsals. And so they're over here and rehearsing and remembering are kind of the same thing from different sides. You are picturing an event and you're preparing for it. Over here, you're remembering how it went and getting your heart set on it. Over here, you're thinking about how it's going to go and getting your heart set on it. And at some point, you realize that they're rehearsing and we are remembering and those two things meet in the middle on Jesus. And we're both doing the same thing from different sides of history. Um, Most Christians tend to focus on this one here that I'm underlined, uh, Yom Kippur. Um, it's, uh, you can read about it in Leviticus 16. It's the Day of Atonement. It's the day that the sins of the people once a year would be paid for with um, a, a sacrifice of a lamb. And then there was another one that they would kind of come. Uh, the priest would name the sins of the people over the, over the head of the, it's called the Azazel lamb or goat. And, and, um, and it would be led out of the city. In other words, the sins would be put on top of the lamb and, and the lamb would literally take their sins away out of the city. And uh, the, um, the mikvah, basically, there's several passages where you can read in ancient Jewish writings where it says that somebody would, would kind of chase it out there and then push it backwards over a cliff to kill it. Yeah, it's a bummer. Um, to kill it because you don't want to wake up in the morning and look out your window and you're yawning and your, your sins are there eating your yard grass. And you're like, my sins are back. And take them away. And you don't want it to be like that. So they would literally go out, hunt it down, and push off a cliff. It's gone. Your sins are not coming back. 
and they're gone for good. And every year they would do this. Okay, so this is the one that Christians most focus on um, at times like Easter, the day the, the, the lamb is sacrificed and our sins are taken away. I would argue that there are actually parts of each of the festivals that are meant to prepare the ancient Jews for Jesus. Uh, several different festivals. Every, part of every single festival, I fully believe, was meant to rehearse what was coming, what we are looking back and remembering. And so I want to work my way through the other six of these today um, and, and, and pull out what I see is, is clearly about Jesus there. We're going to start, I really can start wherever I want because if it goes in a circle, then I can start at the end and it can be the beginning. So I'm going to start at the end, Sukkot. Um, because I think this is really important. If you were here a couple of years ago, I talked a lot about Sukkot and the meaning of it all. Um, the word Sukkot, um, uh, there's a word sukkah that was used. They would build a sukkah. A sukkah is basically a hut. It's the word for hut. It's the same word used for tabernacle, like tent. It's the same um, word used for booth. Um, and so it would be built of impermanent materials, artist rendering. Um, and there would be, you know, it's made of branches and there would be places where you could see the stars and the sky as you're laying in your hut and you would live in this for seven days. So think about this. You are a person made to live about a hundred years and give or take. Um, and you are going to live in this structure made to last about seven days. So you're, you're here a long time. This thing is very short and yet you are going to put your body inside of this thing and live in there for seven days in this temporal Structure. Now, if you were here last, last year before last year, on Christmas, I talked a lot about um, the festival of Sukkot because it happened um, in October and it was a time when the shepherds, it was the one time of the year that the shepherds were in the field letting their sheep graze. And this was the time when Jesus was born. It was not December and I talked about that. Um, Jesus was most likely born during the festival of Sukkot. Obviously, while the shepherds were in the field watching over their flocks by night. And even the songs that the angels sang had bits and pieces of the songs of Sukkot in them. Uh, The whole idea of this is them looking forward to a time when God would come in an impermanent body, a body which easily can be killed and destroyed, and he would walk among us. And so on Sukkot, the people of God celebrates God's empathy towards us in the fact that he understands what we are going through. He knows what it's like to be a human. We do not have a God that is far off and unable to understand what we are going through. He is close. He is God with us. And he understands what it means to be a person and to suffer pain and loss. So on Sukkot, the people of God understand that God is familiar with your suffering. And next up would be The Passover. Um, The Passover was meant to help the Jews. First off, it it was held on the 14th day of the first month, every single spring. It was meant to celebrate the day when um, the people were in Egypt and the angel of death passed over them and killed every firstborn of Egypt. And the angel would approach the house and they would have um, slaughtered a lamb and put the blood on on the head and on the on the doorposts of the house and he would see the blood and they would pass over the house because the blood had been spilled to cover the house and bring about salvation. So here's how this would work. Uh, Five days before Passover, every Jewish family would choose a lamb um, and it would be an unblemished spotless lamb and they would 
they would say, this is the lamb that's going to be the sacrifice that's going to be slaughtered so that we may live, so that we may be saved, so we may celebrate our salvation. Um, And this lamb would be brought to Jerusalem. And this lamb would be then sacrificed in the temple at the appointed time, five days after it was chosen. So what is this a rehearsal of? Well, the year that Jesus died, five days, according to scriptures, five days before the Passover, Jesus enters into Jerusalem while the people are there gathered probably with their lambs and they're waving palm branches and they're yelling Hosanna and they're proclaiming him as king. Five days before Passover, the people of God chose their lamb. Jesus enters into the city. All right. Um, this is the triumphal entry. Uh, Peter writes about this, the book that we're studying right now. We normally go straight through a book um, of scriptures. Right now we're going through the book of First Peter. Um, and Peter writes this. You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished, spotless, the blood of Christ. Instantly, the followers of Jesus understood what all of this meant. As they look back to scriptures, and as every year the festivals approached, they would realize, oh, this was not about that. This was about Jesus. This whole time we've been rehearsing Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. And the very moment that Jesus died on the cross was the same moment that they were slaughtering the Passover lamb. This was always about him. And so on Passover, the people of God choose the lamb, their hope, the thing that will save them, the thing that will keep death at bay. And we put all of our hope on this and we say, this is what it is. And the people of God choose Jesus. Um, Next up is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Um, The Feast of Unleavened Bread happened, uh, several of these happened in rapid succession, one day after the next, Um, some of them on the, um, just bumping right up against each other. Um, The the Feast of Unleavened Bread was meant to remember the provision that God gave them uh, when they fled from Egypt. They, They had to leave quickly and leave all kinds of stuff behind that they usually counted on for life. And they didn't even have time to put leaven in their bread. It didn't rise. It was flat. Um, and they ate it and they ran. Um, and so every single year at the feast of unleavened bread, God's people gather and they pray a prayer. And the prayer basically is for life. They say, God, give us life. And so what would this be a rehearsal for? Well, the very moment in the first century, the day Jesus died, um, at the very moment they would have been praying for God to give life. God, give life. God, give life. The disciples and Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea were burying Jesus in the ground. And I picture them there burying Jesus while, as Jewish men, praying the prayers for God, give us life. A lot of you have maybe brought things here which are either dead or dying very close to death. And, and life is very difficult. And, and you have been praying, God, give life. It doesn't look like there's any hope. Breathe life back into this. There's got to be something here. There's got to be something that you can do. And so at the festival of unleavened bread, God's people cry out to him for life to be brought back. Now, the next one is the Feast of First Fruits. And this was a pretty joyous occasion. Um, This happened exactly three days after, um, after the people were praying for life 
three days after Jesus was being buried. They entered into this festival, the Feast of First Fruits. It meant to signify the harvest. The people would go out and they would look at the fields and there was food coming up out of the ground. And the food that had grown first, they would go and they would rip it out of the ground. They would harvest it and they would bring it down to the temple and offer it as a sacrifice. Now this was a big act of faith because the first things that come out of the ground, you can live off of those. But instead they ripped them out and they threw them on the altar and burned them up as if to say, we trust God. We know that if these have come up out of the ground, the rest will follow. God has chosen to bring life out of the ground. And we know that because life has come out of this ground, that the rest will follow. And that was the saying of the first fruits. The rest will follow. The rest will follow. And so the early Christians fully understood this. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes uh, a letter to the church in Corinth, and he says this, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That word would have just woken them up as they instantly thought about their, their festival. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. You know what that means? Because Jesus has risen, because God has raised Jesus from the dead, we know that we will also be raised from the dead. The First Fruits Festival has always been about Jesus. Because God has raised him, he, he will raise us. That's the promise. He showed us. The fruit came out of the ground, so we know the rest is going to follow. Jesus came out of the ground. We prayed for life. God gave it to us. And now we know that we will have it. This is where we are today. This is what we are celebrating. It's not on the same day at all, not even close. But here we are. It's not about the day. It's about the fact that it happened and it happens every single day. God's people say, I'm going to trust in Jesus and I'm going to cry out to him and say, please bring life out of this dead situation. And God does. And we cry out for our souls. We know that we are dead in our sin. And we cry out, God, please Bring me back to you. My connection with you is lost. It's gone. Please, I choose Jesus to make me whole again. And then we find out that Jesus conquered death. He has risen and that we have been promised the same thing. This is about now. This is about later. This is about after life. This is about all of it. It's about every little situation in your life. It's about the big things in your life. It's about your very soul, first fruits. And so on first fruits, we find hope. On first fruits, God's people see that if Jesus has been raised, so will we. And the next one is called Shavuot. Shavuot is the day where the people of God celebrates receiving the law. Moses coming down from the mountain Sinai with the Ten Commandments in his hand. And this was, they, they loved the law. And it doesn't make a lot of sense to us because we have the scriptures and we have all these writings. They had nothing. And so when they received the law, they were finally wondering uh, they were finally receiving what humans have always been wondering. What does God want us to do? How does he want us to live? How does he want us to be? And this was a huge, great day of celebration when they received the law because we finally knew what God wanted of us. This was a great day. And so the people in their thankfulness in the first century, they would celebrate by giving charity. They would leave the edges of their, of their fields um, unharvested and anyone who had any need from any tribe, any tongue, anywhere could come and eat of the harvest. The people of God had planted it, came up out of the ground, 
And it was open to everybody to come and to eat and to be filled and to live. This was a good day. Now, um, it's called Shavuot. Later on, it was called um, Pentecost. Pentecost means 50th. It means uh, it's 50 days after the Passover. Um, and in Acts 2, the year that we read, we read about what Luke says about the year that Jesus was crucified, and we read something very fascinating that happened on Shavuot. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them as they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. And so on the first Pentecost, the, 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 the laws came down from the mountain and the people received the law of God. God. They found out what God wanted them to do. And on the day of Pentecost, they received the law again, but not on the outside. It was on the inside. Suddenly we knew what God wanted to do because God was in us, dwelling within us, giving us guidance. The spirit of God joins with us. We receive a connection that Jesus promised us, that Jesus opened up for us through his death and burial and resurrection. And the spirit completes this connection with God and our spirit connects with his spirit. And we receive the power to do exactly what God wants us to do, to be the people he wants us to be. And so this was a good day. Now, if you think about this, there's something really fascinating that happened. Um, when the people first received the law, Moses comes down from the mountain. What happened? The people rejoiced because they received something, but then the weight of the law revealed to them how sinful they all were. And what happened? 3,000 people died under the weight of the broken law. 3,000 people. Now, if you read about the day the Holy Spirit came down after the work of Jesus, we read this. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And verse 41, so those who received his word and were baptized were there, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And so when the, when, the, when, the, when the law came down on the outside, we were 3,000 people were just died and were, were destroyed under the weight of it. But when it came down in the spirit and indwelled within us, 3,000 people were God were brought to new life. That's incredible. That has always been about this. It has always been about something else. The people of God have been rehearsing and remembering the work of Jesus. It's he's the center of time. He's what everything has always been about. His work there and the hope that we receive through him. And so on Shavuot, the people of God receive connection with God. We receive the connection that we've always wanted and the power that, that, that we need to have meaningful, fulfilled, purpose-filled, joyous life. And so there's one more festival. It's called Rosh Hashanah. It's celebrated by the blowing of the trumpets. It was actually the, uh, the Jewish New Year. It was the day when the last year would be remembered and sort of put behind us. Um, the trumpet would be blown and they would call on God to judge them. And, and the book of life would be opened and, they would, and, and God would read and judge them how they had sinned against him, the ways that they had failed him. And they could look back and see all of their failures. And then they would start over with a new year. And they would be going down a different direction. And they would not be as they were before. This 
It's about new life. Rosh Hashanah is about the new life that we receive in Jesus. It has always been. We stand and we're open and we repent and God judges us and he looks at us and he says, go and sin no more. And our old life has passed away and all things are made new. We are new creatures, new creations. We are born again to live in ways that we have never lived before. Rosh Hashanah has always been about Jesus and the work of the Spirit in giving us new, born-again life. And Jesus says that we are also looking forward to this because, remember, Jesus talks about how the day when the lights would be turned on, if you will, when we see things as they really are. And how is that going to be celebrated? The blowing of the trumpets. And there will come a day when we stand there before Jesus to judge the living and the dead. And those who follow him here will follow him forever. It's a message of hope. It's a message of repentance. It's a message of understanding who we are and what the gospel has done for us and realizing that we can pull a new sense of life from a deep place because God has connected us again through the work of Jesus with himself. And so here we are on Easter and we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And I want us to understand that there is this rhythm of life. There is a way that you are supposed to live. There is a way that you are supposed to dwell. Um, you are not just supposed to say, pray some prayer and, and, then, and then I'm a Christian and I'm looking forward to that day over there when I die and then I will receive everything that I sort of signed a contract for. That's not what this is about. Resurrection is real. It happens every day. It happens in you as you are sanctified, as things in your life can be healed and brought back together. Remember what Peter said, we do not place our hope in gold, silver, physical things, ways of life that our forefathers did. Instead, we place our hope in Jesus. And so each and every day and every moment of the day, you are faced with sort of choices. And there are times when things are very difficult and there are trials and you look at it and you say, well, I could do this and it would be easy. Um, and I could put my trust in the fact that uh, there's, there's wealth or there's prestige or whatever. I can trust in these things to save me from the destruction that I feel like I'm facing. Or I could do what Jesus did. I can take his path. I can live his life. I can follow him and live in this completely different way. And yes, it's going to be hard. It's going to be bad. But, but when things get bad, I can call out and say, Father, bring me life in this situation. I choose Jesus. I choose to trust him. And we cry out to God for life. And what we find is that Jesus was right. And what we find is that dwelling in the life of Jesus is vastly better than trusting in these tangible things. And so this should be the cycle of your every day. Constantly, repetitively talking to God, reminding yourself so that you do not forget that there is hope in Jesus, that there is a way out, there is resurrection in Jesus. And so it's sort of these festivals are meant to be regularly celebrated. And so on Passover, we choose Jesus. And on Unleavened Bread, we, we, we call out to Jesus and we say, bring life out of these situations. And on, on, on First Fruits, we, we trust Jesus. And we see that since, and we trust that, that because Jesus was risen, there is the power to fix 
our situation as well. There is a power to cleanse our souls, to make us whole again, to free us from our addictions and, and from our torn apart relationships and marriages and families and to heal all of these things. If God brought Jesus back from the dead, he can fix that. He can do it. And then on Shavuot, we say, well, I'm going to follow Jesus. Now I have guidance. And we commit to taking every step in the path of Jesus. And on Rosh Hashanah, we find a new way of life. We find that we are being sanctified. We are becoming more and more like him. I hope you understand what the resurrection means for you, that it's not just some event that happened, it's an event that happens now, every day. And because Jesus rose, we will rise and continue to rise. These things can be fixed. And and we look forward to the day when God will renew everything and fix it all. He is our hope. Happy Easter, Watermark. We're going to take some time and we're going to take communion. We're going to do the thing that Jesus told us to do to remember what he did. And so our communion servers, you guys can go ahead and, and, and prepare. Um, communion is a time when uh, we do this every time we get together because Christians should do this. We should remember what God did for us. Um, and we take some bread and we rip it off to symbolize the, blood, the, the body of Christ being broken for us. And we dip it in the wine, symbolizing the blood of Christ spilled for us. And we eat it. Um, it's nothing mystical. Nothing happens. We're just taking that inside of us. It's symbolic. We're looking back and remembering what Jesus did. And we ask that God would take the gospel inside of us and, and touch the parts of our life that need to be touched by the gospel. The ways that you have not been graceful, we're asking for God to prick our hearts and apply grace to those things. The ways that you have not been forgiving and merciful, these are the ways of Jesus. And so we're asking God to bring the gospel to these parts and teach us to live differently. And so if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, I would invite you to take communion with us. If you need prayer, uh, there's a prayer room right out these doors on the left where somebody would love to pray with you. Um, If there's somebody here who you know is a follower of Jesus and, and you need to get something off your chest, you need to confess anything. We are all part of the royal priesthood of Jesus and it is our duty and privilege to hear confession and to say you are forgiven in the name of Jesus because of the work that he has done. And so we do this. And we forgive each other's sins in the name of Jesus. This should be a day of resurrection, of freeing yourself. You don't have to carry these things around. And the big message of resurrection is that tomorrow doesn't have to be like it is today. You can wake up in the morning and it can be different. Rosh Hashanah. Blow the trumpet. New life. Start over. So will you pray with me? We're going to pray. We're going to spend some time in communion. Father, we love you. Be with us now. Make us whole again. Bring back the parts of us that are dead or dying, that are difficult. Remind us that your resurrection was real. And if it really happened, then it can happen again and again and again to all of these things that we needed to happen to. Thank you for who you are, for what you have done, for your unwavering love and grace for us. We are undeserving of it. In your name, amen. Take some time and talk to Jesus.